Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. I want to share with you out of Acts this morning. And I, I think the thing that hit me this morning, you know, it's always amazing to me how the Lord reveals things to you in the midst of what he's called you to do. As I've been praying about this sermon and, and just all week and kind of wrestling with it and contemplating what is God saying in the midst of this. We've got a story about a guy who's been in bed for eight years. He's paralytic. We've got a, a story about a lady who was overflowing with good deeds and dies. And the truth is, is that this story isn't so much about them as it is about the Holy Spirit, as it is about God's concern for them. I think that's a beautiful picture. We have somebody that's sick, somebody that really society looks upon and they're not useful to society. I mean, this guy's been in bed for eight years. There's not much he can do. He has to be cared for. He has to be looked after. He has to be washed. He has to be cleansed. And in the midst of that, you've got a lady that was very active, clearly filled with the Holy Spirit, doing a lot of wonderful things, godly things, and she passes away. And both of these stories deal with uh, individuals that are looked upon not necessarily as the center of attention by society, more on the fringe. And yet their impact, as used by the Lord, is something that's profound because through their story and through what God does in and through their lives, people turn to Christ. People turn to Christ. See, maybe you're here this morning and we we just sang that beautiful song. I hope you sang it in your heart. But maybe you're somebody that you would perceive yourself being like that. You, maybe you're not in the center of attention. You're not in the limelight. Maybe you don't feel like you've got a lot of influence. Maybe you feel like you've got to be cared for more by society than what you can participate in. You can fill in the blank. Maybe as that song said, you're like one of the widows that nobody calls. But I hope you hear this. In Christ, you're significant. In the Lord, you matter. And God, in and through us, is able to use us and give us all kinds of blessings that we never even could plan or begin to think uh, would be possible. Are we willing to trust the Lord? Are we willing to walk with him? Are we willing to follow him in everything that he has for us? I think this passage is a beautiful passage for those specifically who perhaps came here this morning and are downtrodden. Maybe you've got some things going on in your life and and you're down. Be encouraged. God knows. God cares. God sees. And God is able to minister in a way that we can only begin to imagine. Look at uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 32 and following. Acts chapter 9, verses 32 and following. Just a simple question, but it's rather profound, I think. What will our legacy be? What will, what will our legacy be? How are people going to view you? How are people going to see your life? How, what are they going to say about it? 
That's kind of challenging, isn't it? What are we leaving for the next generations? What kind of path are we walking on that inspires them to follow God? Where they get to see God at work in our lives, they get to see the Lord doing miraculous things, even in uh, ways that sometimes the world would, would uh, say is insignificant. But we know as believers it's significant. What, what is it that our legacy is going to be? How are people going to view us when we go home to be with the Lord? That's a pretty amazing question, isn't it? I want to encourage you that there's some amazing pictures, uh, especially through Tabitha, Dorcas, concerning legacy and what people viewed her to be and how God used her and God was working in and through her life. I want to remind you in this that the Acts of the Apostles, I think, is wrongly named. We're, We're studying the book of Acts And a lot of people say, well, it's the Acts of the Apostles because they focus in on uh, what did Peter do? What did John do? What did the Apostles do? Uh, What ultimately did Paul do as he was converted from Saul to Paul? What did they do? And so we have the tendency to look back and say, well, what did the early church do? And and what were they participating in? And, and, And all of that's well and good, but understand the framework of this is not the Acts of the Apostles. The focus of that, this is not on what people did. The focus is on what God did through people. That's the issue here. And so I remind you in that because remember early on in Acts chapter one, these are the things that the Lord continued to do. Luke is the picture of what the Lord did while he was here on this earth. Then he went back to the Father. He sent the comforter, the Holy Spirit, his spirit into the believer's hearts. And as a result, it's what the Lord continues to do in and through believers. And we're a part of that because it didn't stop with the last pages or the last story of this particular book. It continues on through the decades, even to right now. The Lord continuing to do a work in and through us. It's what he has done and what he alone is able to do. That's the focus. And so, yeah, we can look back and say, well, what did they do? What were their patterns? What was their focus? I would suggest to you, ultimately, in all of that, their focus was steadfastly on the Lord Jesus Christ. They were submitted to him, surrendered to him, listening carefully to what he had for them, and walking in what he wanted them to do. Empowered by them. Building relationship with him and with one another, and then glorifying God for what they saw him accomplishing. So with that in mind, three things this morning as we look at these two stories. First of all, care for the sick. Secondly, a concern for the poor. And in the context of both of those things, there's the the conversion of the lost. There are people that turn to the Lord. There are people that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that this is not just the Apostle Peter's care for the sick. This is not just the Apostle Peter's uh, concern for the poor or Dorcas's uh, concern for the poor. This is the Holy Spirit in these individuals. This is his heartbeat on display because he alone is able to transform us in terms of who we are into what he wants to do in and through us. He changes our hearts from being completely selfishly oriented to being other-oriented. God does this. God is doing this. There's two stories here. The first, obviously, is about 
Aeneas, a bedridden, paralyzed guy. He's, he's been in bed for eight years, can't do anything. And the second is probably more well-known, concerns a woman named Dorcas or Tabitha. Fascinating. So the first part of this, verse 32, Acts chapter 9. Now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Where's he coming from? Well, probably Jerusalem. He's been in Jerusalem. If you remember the persecutions taking place, there's a diaspora, there's a spreading, there's a sowing of the gospel through the believers' lives. Saul is persecuting the church. Now the church is at peace because Saul has been converted. There's a resting. The church, the context of this, is walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They're continuing to grow in Christ. They're willing to follow him wherever he leads. And the Lord has allowed this persecution to take place in Jerusalem so that it gets spread into Judea, into Samaria. We know that it's in Galilee. And now we begin to see the foreshadowing of the taking of the Gospels to the Gentiles. As Peter, as an itinerant preacher, as an apostle, who's been called to feed the sheep, is now going to areas where there are Jewish believers, but there are also Gentiles. And we see the gospel spreading out of Jerusalem throughout all the regions, and now God begins to prepare Peter's heart to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Chapter 10 The sheet is lowered, and the animals that were considered unclean are offered to Peter. And Peter says, no way, I'm never going to touch that stuff. I've never touched it before. I don't want barbecued pig. That's not what I want. (laughs) Three times. And ultimately, he takes the gospel to Cornelius, a Roman centurion, who's a Gentile. God begins right here to prepare Peter's heart to do that. That's big picture. So as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he's, he's traveling to where the believers have been spread. He came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Lydda was probably about 10 miles from Joppa, which is on the coast, which is just south of Tel Aviv. So if you think about where present-day Tel Aviv is, and you just go south just a little tiny bit to Joppa, and then you cut back towards the west, you've got Lydda. And he goes there, And in verse 33, says, he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. You know, there's there's moments in time where you, you get hit by something in the midst of a text, and it's amazing. Can you, can you look at this one particular, and I'm sorry, I know it's one word, but it's really a fascinating one. There he found a man named Aeneas. How did that work? How did that happen? Is Peter just going along his merry way and happened upon Aeneas? Is that the idea? I mean, why, why would he go into a house where there's a, there's a guy that's been in bed for eight years and paralytic? The guy didn't come to him. We're not told that others came to Peter and said, hey, can you help this guy out? We're not told that. We know that the Lord, through Peter, has been doing amazing miracles. Amazing miracles. And we know that the believers know that. We know that because they sent for him because of Tabitha's death. But all of a sudden, it says that he found this man, 
I want to encourage you in this. That word find is pretty important. If you track it through Acts, if you track it in the Gospel of Luke, primarily that word relates to finding something of spiritual significance. Finding something spiritual concerning the kingdom of God. It wasn't just happenstance. It wasn't even Peter going and trying to figure it out and find where is he going to go. It's the Holy Spirit directing him and the Holy Spirit leading him to this individual that in the world's eyes seems insignificant, but to God is very significant. This man is healed by the Lord through Peter. And he becomes the key in that town for people to turn to Christ. Now the Lord knew that. Folks, you can't make that up. Peter didn't have a brainstorming session with the apostles before he got to Lydda and say, you know what, I got a great idea. I think I'm gonna go and find somebody that's laying in bed and has been there for eight years and is paralytic and can't move and I think he's gonna be the key in order to evangelizing the entire town. He didn't come up. Just like Philip didn't say, oh, I got, Lord, I got a great idea. I'm gonna get on that road that leads to nowhere and I know there's gonna be an Ethiopian there and it's gonna be a key in order to take the gospel to Ethiopia. Folks, do we realize sometimes we, we plan God right out of everything? And the issue here is, are we following the Lord? Are we sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Are we walking with him? And in the midst of our day, in the midst of our time, no matter what it is that we're doing, when the Spirit of the Lord begins to direct us towards something that we consider to be perhaps insignificant, we're willing to do so anyway because we don't know what God wants to do. And he can do mighty things. It was convicting to me this week. Sometimes we're so bent on the big picture. Sometimes we're so bent on what, the, what results we want to have accomplished that we miss what God is doing right in front of us. And in the midst of it, God has something significant that we call insignificant. But he wants to reveal something to us and then he wants to use it for his glory and his honor that nobody can take credit for it. And as a result, we're able to step back and go, wow, look what God has done. Amen? Are we willing to follow the Lord in this? Are we sensitive to his leading? Are we sensitive to those things which sometimes we call insignificant? Are we responding to the weak to the helpless. Well, in verse 36, there's a concern for the poor, and you can see this in Tabitha. It says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. By the way, that's significant. When you have a name that is given to you twice, take note of the name, right? The author, the Spirit of God through the author, Luke, is trying to get our attention. This lady's name is, take note of it because it's descriptive of her. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Don't miss this, because I think this is a big picture issue. The Lord is preparing Peter to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Joppa is where Jonah went to flee from God when God told him to take 
the message of repentance to the Ninevites. Interesting, isn't it? You mean the Lord brought it full circle? Yep. (laughs) Does the Lord care about the Gentiles? Yep. And so he sends Peter to Joppa. Or he's going to send people to Peter, who's in Lydda, to bring him to Joppa, and he ends up staying there for quite some time. And it's where he has the vision with regard to the, to the unclean things that the Lord says, what I have declared clean, don't, don't you call unclean. He begins to prepare the heart. So here is a significant moment. God is orchestrating events because he knows what he wants to do. He knows he, wanted, he wants to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and he's got to prepare Peter's heart in order to accomplish that. And he uses the same exact town that, that uh, Jonah fled the Lord from so as not to take the message of repentance to the Ninevites. Fascinating. Let me share with you what Tabitha means. Fascinating to me. It means gazelle. And you say, what in the world does that have to do? Well, you know the animal gazelle. There were gazelles there. They were on the fringe. It also has the idea of bright eyes or beautiful. And evidently, the parents perhaps saw this young child and recognized something about her that was special, that was unique. And it led them to this name. Certainly was something that then began to be a characteristic of her life. She's a graceful, beautiful individual. A gazelle is shy. It's it's not in the center of everything. It's it's more on the outskirts. And a gazelle doesn't drink much water. And, And it indicates that this lady was not at the center of attention. She was more on the fringes. She was more behind the scenes. That she didn't need a lot. She didn't take a lot for herself. But rather what she had, she began to share it with all those around her. Says that she was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity. That word abounding used in the book of Acts usually refers to the idea of being filled with the spirit of God. Full of the spirit. Stephen, full of the spirit. Pick men in order to deal with this issue, that are filled with the Spirit of God. The word filled is used over and over again with regard to the Holy Spirit. Here, I believe, Luke is just painting a picture of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit of God. She was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity. Had she come up with them on their own? No, this is God in her accomplishing this. She's filled with the Spirit of God. And as a result, the word kindness is actually the word goodness. She is actively seeking what is good for other people. All the time, continually. She's looking at, what, how can we help? How can we serve you? What's in your best interest? And she's coming alongside. The word charity here is a beautiful picture of the giving of alms, the giving of money to the poor in mercy. She would see the poor. She would see the needy. She would see the downtrodden. She would see those that were rejected, were rejected by uh, culture, those who had it bad, And she was using whatever means that she had in order to help them, bless them, and give them money so that they were able to buy food. She was clearly, as we can see later on, sewing things for people, for the widows. She was constantly making things for them. She was active. She was continually doing these deeds all the way up until the point where she got sick and then she died. Beautiful picture being filled with the Spirit. Verse 37, it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. 
And since Lydda was near Joppa, about 10 miles, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. I think it's really an interesting thing. They, they didn't bury her. Now, I know culturally there's some, there's some potential ramifications of, of placing her body in an upper room and washing her, but the reality of it is when you combine that fact with the reality that they went and sent for Peter in the midst of this circumstance, evidently these individuals had a hope that God was going to do something to change the status quo. I think that's pretty cool. They laid her in the upper room and they said, go get Peter. Why? Because they had a hope that God, through Peter, was going to do a miracle. Let me ask you something. How many times do we have a situation take place in our lives, we think it's it, it's over, and we're done with it, and we move on, instead of running to the Lord with expectancy as to how he can change the circumstance, how he, when interjected, is going to make a difference in a way that's going to be awesome. I think that's important. They knew the Lord had used the apostle to do tremendous miracles, and so they send for him. Verse 39 says, so Peter arose and went with them, and when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. She was continually doing acts of kindness, doing things that were good, benevolent for others. And here are the widows Those individuals who didn't have a lot to do to help society. Those individuals that actually had to be taken care of were saying that this lady has taken care of us. Don't miss the fact that the Holy Spirit is orchestrating this and in the midst of it, the Holy Spirit cares for those widows. She made the most out of what she had. Zane Hodges puts it this way, and I I think this is absolutely essential. When we talk about what God's doing in and through our lives, we talk about a legacy. What is the legacy that we want to leave? What is it that we, we want people to know about us? How are we following God today? How are we being empowered by the Lord to do those things which he's planned for us before the foundation of the earth, as Ephesians talks about in terms of the good works? Hodges puts it this way. He says, the widows plead with Peter on the basis of her good works. The life, useful and fruitful, does not come to a readily accepted end. They were distraught. This lady's life had come to an end, and they saw all the acts of charity, all the acts of kindness and goodness that she had done, and they were distraught about it. I think Hodges goes on and says this. Often older people give up serving others become dependent and self-centered in life, looking out mainly for their own comfort. A life that has ceased to be useful is not missed when it ceases altogether. Oh, God, keep us from that. Amen? 
Folks, what's our legacy? What is it that God's doing in our lives? How are we following the Lord in order to role model what it means to walk by faith to the younger generations? How are we participating with what God wants to do in and through us? And are we doing this up until whatever time that the Lord chooses to say that's the end rather than when we choose to say that's the end? This lady is a picture of service not only for women but for men because she was willing to follow the Lord. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. She was constantly doing good works and those good works were from the heart of God. Verse 40 says, Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. I I don't know about you, but when I read that, I can't help but think in terms of Mark chapter 5, when the Lord rose Jairus' daughter from the dead. They were all weeping, and they said they were mocking, really. They said, hey, the Lord said she's asleep. And they were like, no, how, how can you say that? What did the Lord do? He sent them all out. Sent them all out. He took her by the hand and said, arise. Peter does the same exact thing. He sends them all out. I think it's very clear that he didn't want to have any credit given to him for doing this. He knew the Lord had orchestrated this. He knew the Lord was leading him. He knew that this is what God's will was, and he trusted the Lord in order to do something that as an apostle, God was using him to do. And then he invites him back in. And he introduces her to them. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine that? Weeping to joy. Anguish to rejoicing. Because God had interjected himself into that moment. What are you going through? What, what is it that you feel like you're down about? What circumstance is overwhelming to you? What's happening in your family? What's happening in, in your world? Don't ever count God out. Don't ever count God out. Lying behind the unreasonable lies, the unexpected. God is able in the midst of circumstances that to us look overwhelming. He's able to bring joy out of sorrow. He's able to change things in a way that we can't plan and we can't program. But we have the opportunity to walk with him in the midst of and see him at work. All of these things lead to the conversion of the lost. You have the miraculous healing of Aeneas, verse 35. All who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him. And the indication is not everybody that lived there. It's everybody that saw him. They recognized something. God had done something here. What did they do? They turned to the Lord. The indication is that they recognized God had done a miracle here. And they had the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of that miracle, and they turn to the Lord. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 42, it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. They were saved. 
They trusted in the Savior. They recognized God had done a miracle through the apostle Peter and guaranteed, look at the context of Acts, what did Peter do? Hey, look what I did. Is that what Peter did? No, Peter said, look what the Lord has done. And he began to share with them the gospel clearly. See the pattern over and over and over again. And he began to declare to them that salvation is in the blood of the Lamb. What a beautiful picture. People turned to the Lord. People believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I like what Hodges says on this. The book of Acts stresses the spiritual condition of the church as the secret of divine power. That's an interesting statement. Why is it that God was doing so many amazing things I would suggest to you it's the context. Right before we have these stories shared with us, right before we get into what God did in and through the Apostle Peter, we are told in verse 31 of Acts 9, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase divine multiplication. Not man-made multiplication, divine multiplication. And because the people of God were going on in the fear of the Lord and being comforted, encouraged, admonished, corrected, directed by the Holy Spirit, God through them was doing amazing things that ultimately ended up with people who didn't know the Lord turning to the Lord. Folks, what's happening in our day? The time of the apostles is gone. The church has been built on the foundation. But God is still in the miracle business, if you will. And the greatest miracle of all is when somebody comes to know Christ. There's no question about that. What is God doing through our lives? How are we yielded to him? How are we walking with him in obedience, surrendered to him, filled with the Holy Spirit? taking note of those things that the world calls insignificant, but that God cares about people. And in the midst of it, God begins to do phenomenal things through us. And we have the opportunity and the privilege of sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the hope that is in Christ. And as a result, people are turning to the Lord. People are believing in Jesus. Two thoughts with you, for you. Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. That's the last phrase. (laughs) Interesting. Simon the tanner. What do tanners do? They deal with dead bodies. Right? Jews weren't allowed to be near them. Dead bodies. Yet Peter was staying with a guy that did this all the time. It's interesting because the Lord is preparing him to receive that message from himself to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he does so. We'll see that in chapter 10. Titus chapter 3 verse 8 says, This is a trustworthy statement and concerning these things I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage 
in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Or just a few verses down in Titus chapter 3, verse 14, he says, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Engaged. Well, how do we get engaged in that sense? I would suggest the first step, biblically, is to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord has good deeds for each and every one of us that he's planned before the foundation of the earth. And when the Lord comes in and begins to take up residence within our hearts, then in the midst of it, as we begin to learn to listen carefully to where he's leading and what he wants us to do, we begin to walk with him in obedience, surrendering to him, submitting our way to him, yielding to him. And then God in us begins to transform us and through us, to empower us in the good deeds that he has for us because God wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to be profitable spiritually, not unprofitable, not unfruitful. Are we engaged in the good deeds that God has for us? Are we following him? Are we walking with him in the midst of it? Is he expressing himself through us in such a way that it's a blessing to believers and it's a testimony to the lost who begin to see God at work, not only individually within our hearts, but corporately within a body of believers. And as a result, they begin to turn to the Lord. How are we walking with God in our time? How are we walking with the Lord? We're going to have a time of communion and I I want to just take a moment and Just go to the Lord and let's prepare our hearts. Amen? Let's just take a moment before him and let's just be still before him. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me for a moment? What is God saying to you this morning? How's the Lord using his word in your life? What's your legacy? What is it that people see you doing? And how does that reflect your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about consistency. We're talking about an acknowledgement of our desperate need of the Lord and his strength and his power, his cleansing, all that he's able to do in and through us. Would you take a moment and just be still before him? Ask the Lord, speak to your heart through his word to prompt you, to bring to your mind anything that needs to be confessed, agreed upon with him so that you can receive cleansing from him. What's God doing in your life? How are you walking with him? How are you trusting him? Take a moment, prepare your heart as we prepare to have communion, go before the Lord and do as as the Lord would lead you this morning. Maybe there's somebody that you know in your heart and your mind that you sinned against and you need to ask them for forgiveness. You know what? I want to encourage you, do it right now. Do it now. Don't wait. Maybe you need to forgive somebody, even if they don't come to you. 
You need to take it to the Lord and say, Lord, you know. Give it to the Lord. I don't know, whatever it may be, as the Holy Spirit of God prompts you in your heart, respond to him. Say yes to him. Be obedient. Submit to him. And take some time to thank him for going to the cross. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.